Hello and welcome to Doctors for All. My name is Simran. And my name's Abdul. And we are a group of final year medical students passionate about healthcare for everyone. This is the podcast where we talk to the experts, raise awareness about health inequalities, and explore the ways in which we, as health professionals, can tackle them together. So whether you're a doctor, nurse, pharmacist, student, or health leader, this is Doctors for All. We hope that you can learn something new with us today. As discussed in our last podcast, great health inequalities exist between the general public and the Gypsy Roman traveller community, with life expectancy over 10 years less than the national average. Here in Cambridge, the Irish traveller slash Gypsy community represent the largest ethnic minority group. We'll therefore be talking to Dr. Harry Jones, who, during his fourth year of study, completed a research project with Dr. Blumenfield from the primary care unit of the university's Institute of Public Health. The study examined health inequalities in a North Cambridge GP surgery with particular regard to Irish travellers and cervical smears. We hope that this podcast demonstrates what the inequalities discussed in our last episode look like in day-to-day medical practice by focusing on one centre and the problems found there. We also hope that Harry's work inspires some of our listeners to conduct similar research in general practice or other areas of the medical field so that we can close the gap in health outcomes as soon as possible. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Firstly, thank you, Harry, for speaking to me today. So I understand that you looked at cervical cancer and smear tests. What was it that made you choose that topic in general? So it's a good question. Um, in terms of why I particularly looked at cervical cancer, um, I think one of the big things that drew me to that is just how preventable it is. Um, we know that 99.8% of cervical cancers, if they're caught early enough, are completely treatable. Um, and another big thing that drew me to it, as particularly looking at this population of the uh, the traveller and gypsy population, was based on some previous research uh, that a fellow medical student had done um, with the same doctor that I worked with, um, looking at vaccinations. Uh, and generally, they were looking at that research looked at vaccinate a, a load of different vaccinations uh, and the uptake of those and found that across the board, uh, uptake was particularly low um, in traveller and gypsy populations. But they found that in particular, the HPV uptake was only at 4% in the traveller population compared to 80% in the uh, in the rest of the population. And so with vaccination being so prevalent in the rest of the population and really reducing those uh, HPV numbers, uh, I thought it was really important that, important that we looked at the traveller population because they weren't receiving that vaccination. And because we know it's treatable, then it's important that they are, in my eyes, it's important that they are getting the smear. Um, yep. So in, in which case, it would make sense for there to be an increase in cervical cancer rates, right? Um, if the vaccination rates are lower, then there's going to be greater exposure to HPV. Were you able to look at whether there was a higher rate of cervical cancer than average? Well, so we didn't actually, unfortunately, we couldn't actually look at whether there was higher rates of cervical cancer because the numbers weren't big enough. But we did look at smears. Um, so the practice I looked at, we found that the uptake in the non-traveller population was uh, 77% of women of an eligible age had had a smear in the last five years. But with the travellers in this community, uh, it, it was only at 44%. 
Um, and what was particularly, I think, shocking about that was this was at a GP practice with a, a large number of Irish travellers. Um, they have active, out, active outreach programmes. They have clinics specifically set up for attendance by travellers. Um, and so this 44% number is probably much higher than uh, the rest of the UK. And so was this the first time that this had been looked at at this practice? Yeah. And it was also, um, from what I could tell, looking on PubMed, there was just no uh, research, quantitative or qualitative, um, no research whatsoever about uh, travellers and cervical screening or cervical cancer. And are there any reasons that stand out to you as to why there isn't that much research um, with this often neglected group? I think there are um, there are a number of, of reasons. Um, a big one is the, the difficulty of performing this research. Um, a lot of GP practices uh, have have very few travellers on the book, so performing an audit of this kind is quite difficult. Um, there are a lot of barriers to accessing healthcare um, in travellers and in, in other groups living a nomadic lifestyle, as I'm sure you can imagine if you're moving around frequently, you might be registered at one GP practice, but very rarely get there. So the, the accessibility of the data is, is really poor. And another thing to uh, consider is that a lot of travellers do not identify as such on census or when going to GP practices. Um, whilst doing my research, I heard anecdotally about a number of practices that um, would deliberately be difficult uh, when travellers came to try and join the practice. Um, they would refuse to help them with forms if they uh, had low literacy rates and were struggling to fill out the forms themselves. They're a group that still experiences, we know, a lot of discrimination. Right. So it sounds like there's a lot of explicit and implicit bias and discrimination in a system that is just not set up for those who lead nomadic lifestyles. And also, I guess, if there's a consequence of issues with census taking, the GP surgeries themselves don't know that they have these communities around them. Uh, you know, it's not visible to them. They don't know to look. Then it's going to be harder for them to identify these sorts of healthcare inequalities. Yeah, and we know from uh, other research that was performed by uh, Dr. Blumenfield, the doctor that I work with at this practice, um, that a lot of travellers' uh, interaction with healthcare is through A&E and through a hospital um, departments, um, where the keeping and storing of data and the um, recognising of people as traveller is, is very difficult. And it's also an environment in which smears aren't routinely performed, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and therefore, yeah, the data and the accessibility to that um, is very poor. If they're only engaging in secondary health care, which doesn't take the lead on services for preventative medicine, then these communities are going to lose out in that regard. Now, you've mentioned in your sample 44% versus, I think you said, 77 for the smear tests. Yeah. What about other risk factors for cervical cancer? Did you look at those at all? Yeah, we did. Um, and there, were, there was a, a few reasons we looked at that, really. I've already mentioned that we know for a fact that the HPV vaccination in this group is significantly lower. Um, many living a nomadic lifestyle, and for many other reasons, there are... Um, a low number of uh, girls that will stay in higher education or stay in education to the age at which they routinely receive the vaccine. So we know that the vaccination level for HPV vaccination is low. The other risk factors that we wanted to look at were um, obesity and smoking. We know both of these tie uh, heavily into a lot of different cancers, but also into cervical cancer. So it's bad enough that they're not being picked up for smear tests. 
Um, but also, if this group is more likely than average to suffer from cervical cancer because they have higher rates of other risk factors, it makes the issue more pressing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and from our from our results, we did find that the smoking rate was much higher uh, in traveler populations. It was um, we looked at smoking history, so whether they were either uh, registered as a current smoker or an ex-smoker. Um, and that was grouped together as just being having a smoking history versus not having a smoking history. Um, and we found that only 29% of non-travelers had a smoking history, whereas 64% of traveler women had a smoking history. Um, so we know that smoking is much more higher in this population. And then looking at uh, BMI, that was more difficult to assess. Um, again, BMI is something that is recorded less frequently than smoking status. Uh, and in a group that uh, less frequently attends general practice, there was only a small number of recordings of BMI in the traveler population. But based on those small numbers, comparing the two, the average BMI of the traveler population was 27.5 compared to a non-traveler average of 26.5. And one only seems like a, a small number, but with BMI, that's, that's quite significant, um, especially on a background of already 20, above 25 being overweight and therefore higher risk. So in addition to the fact that monitoring for cervical cancer is inadequate, this community is at a greater risk of suffering from cervical cancer because other risk factors for the disease are more prevalent. Exactly. Now, I saw that you were able to look at another minority group in the area as well. What was it that you found um, when comparing that minority group with the Irish traveller slash gypsy community that was the primary focus of your study? Yeah, so with the numbers I mentioned earlier, that comparison was between uh, the travellers and non-traveller uh, groups. But obviously, non-traveller is an exceptionally broad and diverse group. Um, and when we broke it down to look into that further, we found uh, in this particular, this particular GP practice, um, a number of individuals who had identified as any other white background. And when we kind of delved into this a bit deeper... Um, this group was predominantly first-generation white European immigrants, um, most of whom had English as a second language, and many seemed to actually live at the same caravan sites as the travellers uh, under the same conditions. Uh, and when I asked about this, I was told it was because um, many were uh, of a, many were living in this kind of a lower socioeconomic status, and this was where the affordable housing was. Um, so what this meant was that we had a group that we could compare the travellers to. Um, that were similarly deprived, um, may have language and communication barriers uh, and are living in similar conditions. Um, and then we also separated out the white and mixed British population so that we had uh, three, com three comparative groups. So broadly speaking, you were trying to control for socioeconomic and geographical factors that may account for the difference in SME rates that you found. So what was it that you discovered? Yes, yeah, so if, we, if we start talking about the, the smear attendance, um, we found that there was, as, as you would kind of expect in this any other white uh, background group, their smear attendance was lower. The British or mixed British patients had an attendance rate of 81%. The white European, uh, any other white background group had a slightly lower uh, attendance rate of around 69%. So it was significant, but it's still significantly better, still significantly higher uptake than the 44% we saw in travellers. And so I guess what this tells us, or what this suggests to us, is that in this small sample where we're doing our best to control for socioeconomic status, to control for language barriers and living conditions, 
there is still some other significant barrier preventing travellers accessing smear testing. Yeah. Uh, and then when we compared the smoking rates, um, we saw that the British and mixed British uh, group had the lowest um, with the any other white background group being comparable. And again, Irish travellers being significantly higher. I see. You mentioned that there are other significant barriers that must be in place that are more specific for the Irish traveller community than for other minority groups. Did you look into why that might be the case or were there any suggestions from the practice? So I was able to talk to a few members of the traveller community about this. Um, Again, one of the, the barriers to finding out more about this and really delving into from their perspective what these barriers were was the difficulty we had in reaching out to this group, in talking to this group. Um, But what I did find out is that there are um, a number of different barriers that I kind of split in my my head. I split into two groups, ones that are very difficult to do anything about and ones that would actually be quite easy to solve. The ones that take a longer time to address are the the cultural barriers. So if you think about things... um, the Irish traveller are a group, are traditionally uh, Catholic. A lot of them will have very traditional values and having open and frank discussions about cervical smearing uh, might be difficult in these groups. Um, other barriers that are harder to um, overcome is that in groups, we've seen we've seen with COVID actually, it's kind of highlighted this, but in a lot of group with the COVID vaccination scheme, we've seen a lot of uh, groups, a lot of uh, ethnic minorities that have been historically discriminated against have um, a lack of trust. Uh, hesitance. Yeah, a hesitance, exactly. Um, and I think building that trust back um, and encouraging these people to get vaccinations by building trust will take longer. The things that I think are much easier to address are um it's shocking that these things aren't already being done, it has to be said. But um, an example of one of these would be, as I'm sure you're aware, smear testing and many uh, NHS appointments are typically done by uh, sending out of letters. Now, as I'm sure you can imagine, to people that live a nomadic life or live on um, traveller sites, access to post is very limited. Um, and these this group can sometimes have lower literacy rates as well. And so sending long, complicated wordy letters to a group that don't receive post and if they do receive it may have difficulty reading it is not a good way to go about arranging appointments alternatively there are text messages sent but there are similar barriers there with the term in terms of um, literacy the availability of phones you mentioned that you discussed this sort of stuff with members of the community Mm -hmm. were these the issues that they highlighted in particular or did they have a different perspective on the matter? So there was some bias with the individuals I saw. There were individuals that um, were easier to contact and were willing to come into the come into the clinics to talk to me or were at clinics anyway and willing to talk to me. Um, but they highlighted a lot of issues around, um, around the conversations that they have in their communities um, and about the, uh, I think they described it as the storytelling culture where they... Um, well, generally, if, they, if they're offered a vaccine, it will be heavily discussed amongst the community about whether that is to the benefit of their children or not. And quite often they will come to an agreement as a community. Um, but in a group with traditional values, as I mentioned earlier, those open discussions um, are much less likely to happen with regards to intimate examinations and cervical smears. Um, so that was something that they, they really highlighted. 
But they also brought up the issues about literacy and about um, about letters and access to post. Um, they also the individuals I spoke to um, weren't live, weren't currently living nomadic lifestyles, but they did also mention that for a lot of groups, the prospect of being offered an appointment in three four weeks down the line. Um, is not useful when they know that it's very unlikely they'll be in the same place in that period of time. They may no longer be in the area, for example. So what you're saying is that there needs to be a lot more community engagement rather than the current setup in primary care, where services are designed for the individual service user rather than for a particular community and its needs. Um, To take that point a little further, I guess um, there's a big issue with how healthcare services are designed in general, in that services are not well suited for those who lead a nomadic lifestyle. So perhaps if patients were able to go maybe between practice for appointments, it would be useful. Um, Is is that something you you had in mind if you were to consider possible solutions to this problem? There are other simpler things that could be done as well. Um, Moving between practices and sharing of information, we know there are these barriers in the NHS, but opportunistic testing. This group does attend GP practice, although it may be just be when they're in the area. If they could be offered there and then um, the opportunity to have a smear test that same day on that same visit, um, that would really help knock down lots of the barriers. Um, And that was something that this practice had started doing. They'd also started um, or recently started um, specific clinics held at traveller sites um, by by a particular nurse who was either um, either part of the community or was uh, closely related to the community and had built that trust with them um, and therefore could host clinics um, at the traveller sites. Um, yeah, so that was going to be my next question, actually, to ask about what it was that the surgery had now implemented as a result of the study. Um, has Dr. Blumenfield or yourself, have you been able to look into this again and to re-audit, sort of see if uh, opportunistic testing and nurse-led community engagement have had an impact on uh, cervical smear attendance rates? So the uh, clinics that they had been running is something that they had been running prior to me, uh, prior to me actually performing this research. Um, but I think they had been recently implemented. And therefore had not yet affected kind of, you know, we're looking, we were looking at a five-year period. We were looking retrospectively at a five-year period of smear attendance. Um, I would certainly be interested in going back. Um, it's something that now coming towards the end of my course, I might have a bit more time to do. I'd certainly like to look into this more. I feel it is an issue where, although there are a lot of complex barriers, there are simple things that could be done to really make a meaningful difference. Even if it's just um, outreach programs and better access to vaccinations. Um, For example, if vaccination clinics were being held, uh, not just in schools, but if they could also have outreach programs where to go and hold those vaccination clinics at traveller sites. Um, And then also just access to formatted uh, information that can be more easily understood. Well, it's definitely a very important issue. And as you've said, one where there's a lot that can be done uh, and hopefully we'll see more GP surgeries taking part in these sorts of schemes and being more active in trying to close these healthcare gaps. So thank you very much, Harry, for speaking to us today, and we wish you all the best for any future research you do in this area. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. That concludes our two-part series on Gypsy, Roma and Traveller communities and the health inequalities that they face. For more episodes of the Doctors for All podcast, as well as the links to our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages, visit anchor.fm slash doctorsforall slash count.